Welcome to the Retirement Committee Field Guide Podcast. I'm your host, Alden Bianchi. The Retirement Committee Field Guide explores the world of U.S. retirement plan governance with a focus on fiduciary committees. U.S. retirement plans, 401k plans in particular, have over the last dozen years been the subject of an unending stream of class action lawsuits alleging some combination of plan mismanagement, excessive fees, or self-dealing. Plan sponsors have responded by upgrading plan compliance and installing robust oversight that often includes the appointment of a retirement or fiduciary committee. These committees are typically advised by professional investment managers and benefits consultants. Each month, this podcast examines some aspect of retirement committee maintenance, emerging best practices, and developing law, among others. Its purpose is to educate and inform plan sponsors, committee members, and others with an interest in the topic on all aspects of the work of retirement committees and to encourage committees that are best in class. This is Alden Bianchi, your host on the Retirement Committee Field Guide, and welcome to Episode 2. Today, our guest is Mark Wetzel, president of DeMeo Schneider & Associates, and Mark is going to help us continue our exploration of what exactly retirement committees do and how they best operate and hopefully we can get to some best practices along the way. So, Mark, welcome. Uh, why don't we get started if, uh, if you could tell folks about yourself and, and how you fit into the firmament here. Great. Thank you, Alden. And hello, everybody. As Alden said, I am Mark Wetzel, president of DeMeo Schneider & Associates. I've been doing consulting work to retirement plan fiduciaries and committees since 1990 and have sat on retirement plan committees uh, for plans rate from a small side of 10 million to an upside of about 12 million. So I've worked on both sides of the table and uh, look forward to discussing best practices and best results. So Mark, something interesting about your introduction, you said you'd go back as far as 1990. It strikes me that retirement committees really haven't become the norm until the last, say, oh, let's say a half a dozen years. How did you get into it so early? What was the trigger here? Well, early on, uh, you know, I built a practice serving retirement plans. And I, I think you're right. The committees were not as formal uh, and they were smaller, but there's always been a fiduciary responsible for plans. And that would be the person or small group of people we worked with back then. And I think as plans and the environment have gotten more complicated, uh, those committees have become more sophisticated and broader in their reach, as you say. Well, and I think that's entirely true. It has come to the point now where they've become uh, the norm. There was one other item in your introduction that, that piqued my interest. And of course, you start off a podcast interview like this with a plan as to how you'd like to, the questions to go. And within seconds, I feel like I'm derailed, but I think it's being derailed for a very good cause. You know, you mentioned the range of the sizes of plans that you do. So I'm going to make an observation and, and, and see what you think of it, ask you to invite comments. From the perspective of, the, of ERISA and governing law, a $10 million plan and a $12 billion plan have exactly the same legal obligations. But obviously, the way that a $12 billion plan is going to comply is going to look a lot different. I worry that sometimes the smaller plans, that, that compliance does not scale well. That is, it's hard to service the $10 million plan or below sometimes, whereas it gets progressively easier as plans get larger. 
Uh, is that our experience? And, and have you found a way to uh, to service the smaller plans without uh, without losing any fidelity? So uh, very interesting. I, I'll pivot not to my experience servicing on committees, but the way that we service committees as a firm. And I would say our approach is to bring the same process, the same governance process to all plans. We follow a formal governance calendar that really makes it uh, easy for a small plan or a large plan to make sure they're checking all the boxes. We talk to committees, uh, big or small, about process. I think ERISA requires a prudent process, and that process needs to be well-documented. So candidly, I think if you follow a, a disciplined process, it's really well outlined. You hold your clients and your committees uh, to task, and you document well their decisions, the process, and the things they've thought about. Um, I think you can, uh, with intentionality, uh, scale you know the best practices of the large plans down to smaller plans. Could you describe for me, in your view, your best view of, of how a a fiduciary committee meeting ought to flow. So you've got the committee established, you have your, your calendar, you're, you're going ahead and, and you're perhaps having the periodic meetings. So what happens? How, how are these meetings organized? So a great question. I, I do think the key is having a good chair or a good organizer and following a well thought out agenda for each meeting. Uh, having a specific time set and having a, a formal agenda. Typically, that's reviewing minutes from the past meeting. It's reviewing administrative or fiduciary governance issues. It's reviewing the investments and any things that need to be accomplished with the investments. And then any other open items that are applicable and important for the committee to consider and then wrapping up the meeting. So having a formal agenda for every meeting, confirming that with the committee chair or organizer in advance and having the proper materials uh, to review that are easy to understand that will form the documentation for the meeting is, is really important. Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the real valuable things that you all do when serving re retirement committees is keeping minutes. My accountant friends are fond of saying that if something's not documented, it didn't happen. So I find myself constantly encouraging committees to ensure that the minutes are, are properly kept. Uh, that said, I, I worry some time about the level of detail in minutes. I, I don't want them to get too detailed sometimes. Uh, because that just gives a potential plaintiff's lawyer more to pick at. But at the end of the day, I think it's essential that these meetings get uh, get uh, get documented. Do you do you send the minutes out in advance for approval, or do you just deliver them at the meeting and then have folks review them at that time, or is it different? Does it differ depending on on your client? A couple of key points. Uh, it does differ by client. In an ideal world, the minutes would be put together right after the meeting. They'd be reviewed by participants for accuracy and completeness. And then they would be the first thing on the agenda for the following meeting. But really, most of the committee members or the key ones would have already reviewed them, made comments, and, and kind of formally approved them before even the meeting. I think you bring up a great point. 
you want your meetings to describe your minutes to describe what's been discussed. You know, the what, the how, the why, but you don't need the details. So you want to be sure, for instance, you know, we considered fees, we looked at comparisons or benchmarks, and we determined the committee is comfortable with the fee level for the service they're receiving. That says you looked at fee levels, it says you looked at benchmarks, and it determined for the services you're receiving, the fees are reasonable. You don't have to have further about what were the levels, what was the service, where were you in the benchmarks. In your minutes, you just have to say you looked at the appropriate things, thought about them, and made a prudent, well-informed decision. Amen, brother. I, I wholly agree. So also in your introduction, you mentioned that you, your background is, is basically an advisor's background. There's some folks that are, some consultants in your position come from the TPA background. Some perhaps are even lawyers, but uh, others uh, come from a, from a financial investment background. From that perspective, what's a, a robust uh, menu of retirement options look like? What do you, what do you want to get to? I mean, aside from the, uh, the obvious, I mean, everyone thinks of the obvious. You want to have cover most or all of the style boxes. But, but beyond that, what, what makes a, a robust and reliable investment menu? So actually, Alden, I, I think uh, in the old days, you wanted to cover all the boxes. Uh, you know, I think after 20 years of trying to educate participants about being good investors, the industry has realized reduce the menu, reduce the confusion, and educate participants about how much they need to put away for savings and for retirement, and not whether they should pick small cap value over small cap growth, et cetera. So I am seeing menus being greatly reduced, which candidly lets the committee focus on more important things like the the things that might cause litigation and like plan health and effectiveness at helping participants reach their goals. And certainly a part of that is is participant education. And I just want to put a reminder to myself to come back, to circle back to that. Uh, but on the topic of the investment menu, uh, obviously we're in, we're seeing more and more um, target date funds. In fact, they're almost becoming the norm. Uh, is that your experience? And and what do you think of them? Uh, absolutely, I would say uh, you know the vast, vast, vast majority of our clients utilize target dates funds as their QDIA. I think they're a, a great addition and solution for participants through their accumulation phase. I think uh, going forward, we will start to see new products, services, solutions for the decumulation phase as baby boomers enter that. Um, So more to come. I think the SECURE Act provides some cover and some direction for planned committees to start focusing on the later stage of of employment. So uh, as I say, more to come on that. But uh, Focusing on a, an appropriate menu, focusing on fees, focusing on investment performance are all the key responsibilities from an investment perspective for the committees. Yeah, let's go back to the decumulation phase for a second, because this is something that, that Congress for two decades, it seems to me, has been trying to encourage folks to 
rely more and more on annuity forms of distribution as opposed to lump sums. And it seems that nothing Congress does seems to move that needle. Is this something that you think, even if Congress can't move the needle, perhaps the market will? Is that what you're saying there? Yeah, I do. I mean, if you think about it, I think the SECURE Act has given some coverage and guidance. I think the requirement for uh, lifetime income assumptions being you know, clarified so that everyone's using the same assumptions. I think the allow, allowing uh, e-delivery to participants of information will greatly enhance things. And I think technology being able to uh, customize that e-delivery for what, what should be sent to each participant depending on their situation so that you have targeted communications, you have frequent communications, and you drive participants to action. I, I think in the next three years, we'll see a lot of change in the decumulation uh, and even in the accumulation from a, uh, from a communication and a uh, driving action perspective. Do you folks have a separate education arm or, or function, or do you lump it all together and basically the same folks that, that, that your clients are seeing at your committee meetings are also showing up in the education, uh, participant education side? Uh, we have numerous solutions for education, ranging from our own educators to third parties to the record keepers. I would say in general, the investment consultants that are sitting with the committee are not the folks doing the education. And I think that's because the folks sitting with the committee are really focused on governance and guidance and investments. And the folks that you want meeting with participants are probably uh, folks that are uh, enjoy that, driven by that, specialists in that area uh, and a different, a different skill set. And of course, you, you alluded to this earlier, but it's certainly true that that education can more and more move online reliably, and that's probably going to be accelerated by the, by our our experience with the pandemic. Does that, does that make sense to you? Yes, I think what you I think what you'll see is not only online but virtual meetings. You know, I, I, the way I envision it is that a participant says uh, pulls out their phone, says, "I want to schedule a meeting." picks a time slot, maybe they're at home with their spouse. And at that time slot, they have a virtual meeting with a qualified advisor, educator, CFP, whatever the case may be that, that guides them along the path. That's for those that want active involvement. I do think technology, back to e-delivery and technology over time, I think uh, technology and communications, we may actually be able to drive desired actions uh, without virtual or in-person meetings. Well, that, that, that's something that, that I, first of all, I agree that the e-delivery has, has been a net positive. Uh, but uh, at, a, at, a, at a more abstract level, going back to when self-directed plans started to take hold in the market, I, I recall resisting on the theory that, that investing assets is a, a skill. It's a skill set that, that, that's trained and developed and honed. And it always struck me that having rank and file participants, and I include myself in that, I'm, I'm not an investment professional, that I really shouldn't be picking uh, my investments. And yet the market has certainly told me to go 
take a walk. Uh, so this is the environment we're in. Uh, so I think we're, we're kind of stuck with this model and, and we're, I think we're doing a terrific job at it. But would you ever want to go back to the days when you had just totally committee directed investments? Or do you think that that ship has so far sailed that we might as well just focus on educating participants to make their own elections? Well, let me let me go down that path a little bit. I actually think that ship has sailed uh, and for the better. And I do think over time, uh, I agree entirely, you don't want most of the participants to be their own or their biggest en enemy. But the kind of action I'm talking about is, okay, you're not taking full advantage of the match. Okay, you're over 50, you should be doing the catch up. You have a defined benefit plan, so you should do X, whatever it may be. I think data over time, record keepers will be able to utilize data to help participants customize their solution. So not just the investment, but the solution, what their utilization of the entire benefit, retirement benefit package that the plan sponsor is providing. So uh, I think that's much more effective than everyone's in a 60-40 mix and that fits. Um, so I do think that that's going to be a big, big improvement. I do think that committees have gotten much more sophisticated as we talked about as you go up market. I think we now see finance, HR, oftentimes either internal or external legal attending every meeting. Um, I have some clients that have internal audit even attending meetings. Uh, and then, you know, uh, folks from rank and file, the division heads, uh, to bring diversity of thought, diversity and understanding of need. But you really have to have people on that committee that are interested and committed, and I would say understand the fiduciary responsibility that they're signing up for. No, that, that is absolutely true. Uh, so, Mark, we're, we're getting toward the 20-minute the mark, and I, I want to give you an opportunity. If you want to make an observation either about the industry as a whole or how employers might better engage or, or what, what advances this, this committee process, what, what do you think the, the, the takeaways here for, for committee operation, in your view? That's a great, great question. So we have our clients follow a formal fiduciary governance calendar that makes sure that we address all of the appropriate issues over time, each, you know, over the course of a year. We add new things to that calendar as they come up. So that might be adding a review of cybersecurity. It might be adding a review of QDIA. I do think if committees follow a prudent process, it's all about procedural prudence, and they follow a disciplined, organized fiduciary calendar, and they pay attention to the litigation that's going on and get guidance from, for what to really be protecting themselves against, I think a committee can actually do two things. I think good governance gets you the best results. So let's start with that. Good governance is going to be the best results for the sponsor and the participants. But good governance gets you protection. And I think one of the great things about ERISA is it's not about results. It's about process. And following a good process, if you're disciplined, is not that difficult. Oh. Very good. Mark, thank you so much for participating today. And thanks for your time and insight. And uh, we wish you all the best in 2021. 
Thank you for having me, Alden.